Amen. Praise the Lord, church. Praise the Lord, church. Praise him. Hey, do you all get to worship like that every week? Well, praise God. That was awesome. Thank you, Caleb. Thank you, team. Uh, My heart is happy, and I pray that the Lord has been ministered to. I pray that the Lord's heart is happy in just the midst of the prayers and the praises of his saints. It's good to be with you this morning, Redemption Church. My name is Herbert Beck. I'm the worship and discipleship pastor at Schindler Drive Baptist Church. I'm friends with your pastor, Pastor Jimbo. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, Actually, my church is where uh, uh, Caleb, uh, his dad, is the minister of everything in my church, administration, some of everything. And he's a great, great friend, a beautiful family. His mom plays piano in our worship band, and she's pretty awesome. She keeps me straight and makes sure I don't forget things. So it is indeed a pleasure to be here with you and to be connected with you this morning. And I'm excited to close out your series on uh, making disciples, make disciples. Pastor Jimbo asked me to speak on the stewardship of a disciple maker, and, I, and I'm excited to do that. And I think our text today gives us a playbook for stewardship, the disciple maker's playbook for stewardship. Now, I love sports. I can't play sports like I used to. If you could tell, Father Time has taken his toll on me along with Cousin Cheeseburger, so I don't jump quite as high or run quite as fast as I used to. But before that, I used to play a little bit of sports. Never got to play on a team, but playing in the neighborhood. And, you know, there's always this time when you're just playing at the beginning of the game where maybe things are okay, you have time to make adjustment, time to figure things out. But right down towards the end of the game, maybe in the last two minutes, we call that crunch time. We call that the time where it gets very serious, where it's time to get down and dirty. You call out all your best plays. You put your best players in the game. You play your absolute hardest. You play defense with intensity, with arms up and active feet to get things going. You do all you can to win the game when it gets down to crunch time. And you play to win. It's not just about you. You're playing for your teammates. You're playing for your family. Maybe it's your community. If you're on a high school team or something like that, you're playing to win. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you this morning that we're embroiled in a much more serious contest than any ball game. Maybe you were with Florida State or with Miami last night. That pales in comparison to the ball game, to the contest that we are embroiled in right now. We are in a contest. We are in a race to win souls in a race to make disciples. And I tell you this morning, you could just look around your community, our community. There's a lot of work to be done. Times are desperate. Times are serious. We see broken families. We see violence. We see poverty. We see just sickness, depression, all manner of things around us where the only remedy that we've been given is for us as the church, as the people of God, to make disciples. And I'm pleased to close out this series, and I believe that there is a text that speaks to the disciples, the stewardship of disciple makers. If you have your Bibles, and if you would speak, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. And if you're able and you're willing, would you stand just in honor of reading God's word? We're going to read chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. The word of God says this, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another 
as stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. And I believe we see six, six things, six plays in the Disciple Makers Playbook for Stewardship on this morning. First, in verse 7, we see that, ladies and gentlemen, we need to steward ourselves. You need to steward yourself. And that word steward just means to be a manager, to take care of yourself. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And it says that the end of all things is at hand. Now, no matter what your views are on the end times, maybe you're a pre-millennialist, a post-millennialist, a amillennialist, or, or you're a pan-millennialist, if I can say that word four times, meaning it'll all just pan out in the end some kind of way, we can all agree on the fact that time is winding up. We're, we're steamrolling towards something, and we have less time today than we had yesterday. And let me mess you up. My daddy used to tell you to the church, uh, if you die today, that's the end of the world for you. And that's the, all the time that you have. Well, with time winding up, we need to steward ourselves and we need to take care to mind the way we walk and the way we talk. And we shouldn't walk as foolishly, but as wise. We should redeem the time for the days are indeed evil. And I love what it says here for the sake of our prayers. Sin actually hinders our prayers. As we pray for the Lord's work here in the community, as we pray for the Lord's work in our families, if we are hampered and hindered by sin, our, our prayers will be frustrated. Psalm 66, 16 through 20 says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God. He has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. I don't know about you, but that's how I want to walk with my Lord and my Savior. I want to keep short accounts with him. I don't want to walk in sin or dwell in sin. I want to keep close fellowship with him. The story is told of a, of a father, and I got two toddlers at my house, uh, so y'all pray for me. I got my, my little daughter, she's 23 months, and we got a foster baby who's 18 months. I've never heard the word mine so much in my life. Listen, so this, this, this story resonates with me. There's a father pushing his, his son through the grocery store, and you just hear this father saying that now the kid is just raising Cain. He's going crazy. He's pulling Cheerios off the shelf, knocking watermelons off of the display case, just going nuts. And the dad is walking through the store pushing the son. He's going, easy, John. Easy, John. Oh, take care, John. Oh, just be calm. Don't worry about John. And there was this mother that was next to him who marveled at how calm and collected uh, the manner in which this father was talking to his son. And she says, that is so sweet how you are caring for John there. The father says, oh, no, I'm John. That's Billy. You know, he's taking great steps to make sure that he does not sin. And how many of you guys got little kids in here? Listen, they'll drive you to, you know, not be very holy sometimes, won't they? 
but he's taking great pains to not be sinful. And there's situations in our lives and our families that will cause us to not be good stewards of our behavior, if we're honest about it. People will say things that make us angry, and if we're not careful, we will lapse into not being good stewards of our behavior. So we need to be careful of that. First step in the Disciple Maker's Playbook is to be stewards of yourselves. Next, folks, we need to steward our love. The text says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, this isn't some vague language saying that somehow love just simply hides sins. This is saying that when we love people, when we love someone, we will be able to look beyond their faults. That's what love does. I'm so thankful for my wife, April, right there. She's been married to me for 13 years, right? 13 years. Yes. Listen. But she puts up with me. She loves me. I can make a mistake, and I don't feel like she's going to run out and go find a younger model, trade me in for something else that's not so fat and slow. Listen, I'm so thankful that she loves me. And because she loves me, she intentionally covers many of my faults and many other mistakes I make. And as we deal with each other and as we deal with our community in a sinful world, we need to have this love as well. And that word earnestly There in the text, it pictures an athlete straining to reach the goal. It speaks of the eagerness and the intensity of our efforts. And how many of you guys know that you got to work hard to love sometimes? There's situations where it's not always easy. Listen, your your patience will be tried. You'll be in situations that will cause you to have to love when it's hard and impossible. But I thank God that we serve a Savior who loved us when we were impossible. We serve, we, love, we serve a Savior who loved us when we were enemies of him, when our hearts were dead set against him. We've got to work hard for this thing, especially in the church. The church will stress you out sometimes. Hello, somebody. Huh? Can we talk this morning? Sometimes church folks will stress you out. They'll get on your last nerve sometimes, and it's hard. But you know what? The church is still our family. Listen, you don't just throw out your family members when they get to work in your nerves. You try a way to figure it out. Dottie Lewis says this in his book, Among Wolves, Making Disciples in an Urban Context. He says, the church is not like family. It is a family in which God is our father. Jesus is our elder brother, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. The church isn't like a family. It is a family. I'm so thankful to be here with all my cousins this morning. It's good to see y'all. This is a family reunion. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, red and yellow, black and white, every last one of us. I'm glad to see you, church. I'm excited to worship with you this morning because we are family. We are family. That's what we're here to do. And Brother Lewis goes on to say he compares family with an orphanage. Hear me now. He says, as family, we're not an orphanage. An orphanage is home to a bunch of undernourished and underserved children and a few overworked caregivers. Have mercy. Let that sink in just for a second. An orphanage is home to a bunch of undernourished and underserved children and a few overworked caregivers. Listen, orphans in an orphanage are not necessarily under any obligation to care for one another. They're not. There's no, there's not necessarily a connection with another orphan. Sure, one orphan might find another orphan that they become friends and they like. Just like in the church sometimes, we'll find somebody else in the church that we like 
that like, sees things the way that we see them. And we will, you know, kind of love that person and kind of shun the other orphans in the church when the church operates as an orphanage as opposed to as a family. In an orphanage, the, the caregivers, maybe, maybe if the church is an, operating like an orphanage, maybe it's just your pastors and elders and, and deacons and small group leaders. They're the only ones tending to the needs of each other. That's no way for a family to operate. I mean, my family, I got, I got, I got four kids in my house. Three, three are mine, and, and one's a foster baby. And we're a family. We have to look out for each other. I'm blessed that my wife gets to stay home and, uh, and, and kind of help take care of the house and do things that I just, that I just quite frankly, I stink at, you know. But, but when I get home and my wife says, Herbert, I need you to help with the dishes, I don't get to just say, no, that's your job. You know what I mean? Listen, church, as churches, we as the people, we need to be available and able to help out around the house no matter what. My children got to wash dishes, too. I got to wash dishes. We're all involved in the work of making our house work. And church, if we're going to operate as a family, we all have to be involved in the work of making the church work as well. We cannot sit back and say, that's what we pay you for, Pastor Jimbo. We can't say, that's what we pay you for, Pastor Chris, and everybody else on staff here. Listen, our pastor's jobs are, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Listen, saints, we have work to do. Listen, sometimes I lament. I, I liked it a little bit better when I wasn't a pastor because when I would encourage and challenge the church to be better and do better, when I was a lay person, they kind of got received a little bit differently than when you're a pastor. When you're a pastor, it's almost like you're just kind of towing the company line. That's what we expect you to say, pastor. But no, no, ladies and gentlemen, you've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Every last one of us has work to do. We were bought with a price, and we are not ours, our own selves. We don't belong to us. We belong to Christ now, and he has work for us to do. We need to shepherd. We need to steward our love. And, 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 and if we're going to live as a family in love, we will care for one another. The next thing I think we see in this text is in verse 9. We need to steward our resources, our resources. The text says that we should show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, uh, I'm, I'm kind of reluctant to admit this, but I was talking to Pastor Jimbo the other day. You guys remember the buckets of help that we did a couple weeks ago for the JBA? What's the final number that your church ended up with? Did anybody know? 30. I'm making sure Jimbo didn't lie to me. He said around 30. <laughs> and listen, my church is a little bit, has a few more people than this church. And he made sure I knew that you guys made more buckets than we did. No, that's good. I'm proud of you guys. That's awesome. That's awesome. The way that we were able to, to bless and serve our community by stewarding our resources. Those buckets weren't cheap. I think it was about 100 bucks to fill in those buckets to, to, to help out the people who were impacted by Hurricane Irma. And something beautiful happens when we're sold out to being good stewards of God's resources. He, he desires to channel these resources through us and to use us. None of it is, is ours. It's all his. And he desires for us to be good stewards of that which he's allowed us to have and to use. Something beautiful happens when we are sold out. Stewards of his resources. Second Corinthians nine and ten says, "He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest 
of your righteousness. What a pleasure that is to serve in, in conjunction with our Lord and Savior. And listen, it's not just simply about taking out your calculator and finding out what exactly 10% of your income is and writing a check for exactly that amount and dropping it in a bucket and saying, I'm done. That's good, and you should do that. But some of you can do so much more than that. Some of you are able and capable of, of doing so much more to be such a blessing to your community, to your church, in a way that only God can get the glory because you're doing so much more. He's using all of what you have all of your resources to be his. The story is told of a chicken and a pig walking down a street one day. They're friends. They're together. And they walk past a grocery store, and the grocery store is a little short on supplies. It says that they're taking donations of eggs and bacon. So the chicken says, hey, hey, pig, let's, 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 what do you say? Let's make a donation here. The pig gives him the side eye. And says, hey, listen, that's, that's not a good look for me. You can just drop a couple of eggs off here. But listen, I got to go all in on that thing if I'm going to leave some bacon here <laughs> at, this, at, this, at this store. You hear what I'm saying? Listen, I, I would say that the church, listen, the, the church could use a few more pigs. The church could use a few more people that will leave it all on the altar and let God do what he wants to do with our resources. God will lead you. He will guide you. And God has spoken to your heart maybe even today about ways that he would like to use your resources. Not maybe, not, maybe not even just your money, but uh, just uh, the home you have, the, 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 the properties that you have to serve the Lord. He has called us to stewards his resources. And I love this. He tells us to do it without grumbling. <laughs> Now, grumbling is a murmuring or a secret complaint. You know, you know, when you kind of do that nice thing for somebody, you say, I don't know why Sister String Bean got to have this today. I'm tired of doing this. I'm tired of paying my money, and they don't do this the way I want them to at the church. I'm tired of paying my money, and this doesn't happen the way I want it to. That's not an attitude that pleases God. No, ma'am. No, sir. We're to steward our resources without Grumbling. We need to show that hospitality towards each other, towards each other within the church and without the church. And I, I love to hear the stories of what redemption is doing. I forgot the name of the school that you guys serve, just the way that you actually are just loving on your community in tangible ways. What a blessing that is. And I want to encourage you to keep doing that. God is shining a bright light right here in this church, and I can feel your presence just being here. I can see your heart just looking in your faces. I want to challenge you to keep doing that. Don't get weary of doing good. You're doing a good work. Keep it up. Keep stewarding your loves. Keep stewarding your resources to serve and love on your community and on each other without complaining. Next in verse 10, we're told, I believe, also to steward your gifts. The text says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, again, that word steward is just simply means a manager of something that isn't yours. And each and every one of you guys have been given a spiritual gift with which to serve the church and with which to proclaim the name of Jesus. You weren't given a gift just to show up on Sunday and sit in that pew and keep it warm. You were given a gift to help you make disciples and to make the name of Jesus great right here in this community. And I want to read an ex a kind of extended piece of scripture to you from Ephesians 
chapter 1, and you can turn to it if you'd like. I don't think I added this to the, to the presentation. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read 16 verses here. I'd love you to free to follow with me. Ephesians chapter 4, the first 16 verses. They say this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity in the spirit of, and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Listen here. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, listen here, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When every portion of the church, when everybody here in the sanctuary today is using and deploying their gift that God has given them, their spiritual gifts, their unique talents and abilities, that's what fuels the church to be able to grow. That's what causes this body. This body is a living organism. And every part, every organ needs to do its part for the church, for the organism to function at peak efficiency. And where we struggle so many times in our churches is there's so many people that the only interaction they have with the church, have mercy, is what, is what they see on Sunday morning in these pews. They come and leave and never plug in, never fully engage in the life of the church. Never study God's word to investigate and try to come to a knowledge of the way that God would use you and use your gifts to serve this body. I believe you all have every single thing you need right here to do everything that God has called you to do in this community. But we need everybody to get in the game, everybody to be all in stewarding their gifts this church is full of variety. I, I just love to see even just the diversity as I look around. There's so many difference, differences, age, differences in culture that are around this sanctuary, and none of us has every last one of the answers. God uses all of us in concert if we're stewarding our gifts to help us make disciples and fulfill his great commission right here 
in this community. We need to. We need to steward all the things that we've talked about, our, ourselves. We need to steward our love. We need to steward our resources. We need to steward our gifts. Next, we're also here. Now, I hope I don't make you mad. Don't get mad at me here, but we need to steward our speech, ladies and gentlemen. We need to steward our speech. The first part of verse 11 says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Now, that they're speaking oracles of God means quite simply that we need to speak God's words. We need to speak as representatives, as ambassadors of God in all of these situations that we find ourselves. And as we steward our speech, there are a great many influences that are, that are causing us to kind of speak out on things these days. I don't know if you guys are on social media, there's just a lot going on these days that, that are causing people to speak out and voice all kinds of opinions on on. On, on, on the current events that we're seeing today. And uh, I won't get into those specifically, but I will tell you this, and I don't want you to lean in really close and hear me and love me and hear my heart. American Jesus isn't good enough. Black Jesus isn't good enough. Permissive Jesus isn't good enough. Republican Jesus, Democrat Jesus, any Jesus that you would make in your own image is not good enough for us to reach our communities. Any of those things are not good enough for us to make disciples of Jesus. We can get in our feelings and we can make good Republicans, but we won't make good disciples. We can get in our feelings and try to make good Democrats, but we won't make disciples of Jesus. The only Jesus that is good enough is the Jesus who is full of grace and truth that we find in the Bible. That's the only Jesus that's good enough. And when we speak to these issues, when we speak to our culture, when we speak to our friends and our neighbors, they need to see Jesus full of grace and truth in every issue. Your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, they need to know that you are people of the book, not people of a political party, not people of a particular culture, but people of the book. We need to speak like Jesus on the inside and the outside of the church house. And here's the thing about Jesus, full of grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace. Jesus was a friend to sinners. Just last night, I was at, uh, at uh, University of North Florida for a big event that they put on called Jacksonville Sings. One of my daughters is in, in a chorus at her school, and they sang at this event. And, and one of her friends, she has a good friend who, who they're becoming very close. And, and I love, sweet young lady. I got to meet her again last night, and I got to meet her parents as well. Her mom and her stepmom. You hear what I said? Her mom and her stepmom. And if we're honest about it, sometimes our first reaction is, ew, ew, that's horrible. I can't let my daughter be friends with this girl. But no, that's not what Jesus would do, ladies and gentlemen. It might make you nervous. It might make you squeamish. But listen, we're called to sinners. We're called to offer the gospel to sinners. Now, I look forward to one day being able to share the gospel with these ladies. They were very nice. We shook hands, had a good time, took pictures together, had a great time. I hope that my daughter gets to hang out with her daughter. I hope that she gets to come to our house sometime. I hope maybe she gets to come to church with us one day. 
I hope we get to continue to interact with them. But listen, the gospel doesn't allow us to stay where we are as sinners. Now, I heard somebody once say they were trying to visit a church. There was these people trying to visit their church, and they said, do you affirm the homosexual lifestyle? And the, 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 the person said, no, but we don't affirm anybody. We don't, we, you hear what I'm saying here? We don't tell anybody that they're good enough. We don't, we're all sinners. I got some stuff I'm dealing with, and you, ladies and gentlemen, each and every one of you got some mess that you're dealing with, too. We're all sinners, but thank God for the grace of Jesus Christ who doesn't leave us. He doesn't leave us where we are. Now, listen, he is a friend of sinners, but guess what? Our Savior, through the gospel, he doesn't leave us where we are. He's also full of truth, and he will lead us to the truth, and he will save us, and he will change us and help us to be better. So we need to steward what we say. We need to steward our speech, even some of the jokes we say sometimes. Some of the things we post on social media, we need to steward our speech if we're going to be good stewards and be disciple makers for Jesus. We need to take extra care to ensure that we don't hold our Christianity captive to our cultures when we speak, but rather our culture should be consumed by Christ. And I thank God my church looks about like this church. And listen, I always tell people, I didn't go out of my way to go find a way to worship with a bunch of white people. Listen, can we talk, cousins, family? Listen, when, when my wife and I moved to St. Augustine, Florida, and began a church search, uh, we visited dozens of churches, most of them African-American churches, and we weren't looking for a black church or a white church or anything like that. Uh, our daughter was going to school, uh, preschool at the time, at a, at a church that we never visited, never thought of visiting. One Sunday morning, we didn't have any place to go. We just said, hey, let's go check out this church over here. And we went, and we went again. And we went again, and we felt strongly that the Lord was calling us to be at that Southern Baptist church down there in St. Augustine, Turning Point at Calvary. Now, Turning Point at Calvary is lily white. You hear me? When we got there, we were like a meatball and a bowl of rice. I mean, there was, listen, <laughs> and listen, hey, there were some awkward moments, some awkward conversations that happened. But you know what? I'm better for it, not because white people are so awesome. And not because black people are so awesome, but listen, my life has been enriched by, by being with brothers and sisters of Christ who are different than me. Finding out what their ways are, finding out that guess what? This white brother here, he's trying to raise his kids and manage his budget just like me. He's trying to walk holy and make disciples just like me. We have a lot more in common. We have the most important thing in common, and that's Christ. And that has to drive us if we're going to make disciples, especially in this community. Because from what I understand, this community is pretty diverse. We've got, redemption has got to be known as a church that the gospel is first, and that's it. Redemption can't be known as anything else. Any of our churches can't be known by anything else. We have to be churches that are centered on and focused on the gospel. Can you still worship when the band sings songs that are not the ones that you like because you're focused on Jesus? When was the last time you had dinner with somebody who maybe even votes differently than you? We're all different, and that's okay. That's okay, ladies and gentlemen. And, 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 and there's, there's beauty. We're all created in the image of God. And as I always say to anyone, listen, true multicultural ministry has to be a whole, a lot of, about a whole lot more than trying to make people, diverse people, fit into the way we worship, into the way we are used to doing things, singing the songs that we sing, uh, working in the, in the way that we work. 
But I'll tell you also, true multicultural ministry has to also be about a lot more than telling white people and old people what's wrong with their culture. Okay? There's more to it than that. There's good and beauty in all of our cultures. And I, as I look out on here, I just see like this beautiful tapestry of just, just diversity. And we could take the good and learn from each other in so many ways. There's contributions that every last one of our cultures have made to the body of Christ. We need to steward our speech and work in a way that fosters that. We also need to, in the, in the next part of verse 11 there, steward our talents. Steward our talents. Lastly, we need to steward our talents. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. The strength that God supplies. Now that word supplies is chorageo in the Greek, and I only say that, I'm not trying to be fancy, I only say that because it's the word from which we get our word chorus. And what it speaks to is, is, is one abundantly furnishing the needs of a chorus or a choir at his own expense. So if you think of the church as a choir, as a great big old worship choir with beautiful robes and, and wonderful music and materials and great sound systems and microphones and all the materials they need, and it's all bought by the choir director himself, bought and paid for. We're supposed to steward, serve, steward our talents by serving in the strength that God has supplied, and he has supplied us so abundantly. He's given us everything that we need to live and to serve in him and through him. Something's amazing when people can look at us and know they were ministering in a way that only God has done the work. God told Paul that his power was made perfect in our weaknesses. And I, and I think about the days when I was a school choir and a band director. You know, after we finished a, a great song or whatever, I would, uh, you know, I would step aside and first I would do this so my kids could take a bow and everybody would clap. You know, then I would take a bow and I would clap. Listen, in a secular setting, when I'm just doing music, when I was at the chorus concert last night, that's what I saw. And I looked at them, and I know that uh, they all worked very hard to rehearse that music. They worked very hard to learn all the parts, to work together, to figure it out. So I applauded their effort because they worked hard to do it. It's kind of the opposite in a church. I'll be mortified if my choir at Schindler, if we had to do that. If we finished the song, and I turned around and said... They'd probably throw me out of the church. I would throw me out of the church. Or if my choir said, they're not clapping loud enough for me. Don't they know how hard we work on this music? Listen, that's not what we're called to do. But, but, when, the, the, when, but when the world can look at us and know that, you know, we, our choir is probably about 30 people on average, you know. But when they sing and it sounds like 60, and they know that the Lord is in their midst because they're overcome with the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God gets into the words that they're singing and the notes, and it just multiplies their effort. And it's just this powerful worship moment. And people know that the presence of God is upon them. It's an awesome thing to see done. And the same as way is in the church. We should work and serve in such a way that God should get all the credit for any good that we do. And when we are submitting ourselves, our culture, our talents, our resources, all these things, to each other, I don't know if you've noticed from what I've been saying, but that's kind of like the opposite of what the world would have you to do. When the world is telling you that black folks and white folks shouldn't get along, and then you have a church where this, the opposite is happening, they know God is up to something. It's something that the world, they, maybe they'll be curious about. God will use that in the hearts of sinners to bring them around here to see what God is doing 
in this place. And God will supply us the patience to do that. He'll supply us his word and a message like this today to remind us of how we should uh, steward our resources and our love and our talents and all these things to allow us to do that. And God does this for us. And I'll tell you what else God does. He saved us while we were yet sinners. And he did that at his own expense. Listen, I didn't have a penny to contribute to what God did for me on the cross. And when I think about that I was bought not with silver or gold or dollars or pesos or corruptible things, but I was bought with the precious redeeming blood of Jesus Christ, it changes the way I serve. It changes the way I look at my brothers. It changes the way I look at my resources. It changes the way I even think about being a Christian. And we do all of this. We do all this so God can simply get the glory. The last part of verse 11 there says in order. We do all this. And you could take in our text, you could take the first part of verse 7, cut out the middle, and then think about everything that I said. Look, look at the verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, and then you do all the stuff we talked about. Then you skip down to verse, the last part of verse 11. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We do all these things to point to Jesus. I don't need anybody to tell me how great Herbert is, how great Herbert's culture is, how great Herbert's church even is. We do all things so Jesus can get the glory, so a sin-sick and dying world can know that there is a Savior who sits high and looks low and will redeem us and will redeem our situation and will change us from the inside out and make us different. And we do all this so God can get glory. J.D. Greer tweeted the other day, do what you do well for the glory of God. Whatever that is, if you're a doctor, a lawyer, a street sweeper, a pastor, an elder, a small group leader, a homemaker, whatever it is, do what you do well for the glory of God. And then he says this, do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. Now, I believe you guys, this church and any church has been strategically placed by God to fulfill a specific mission. And we need to be stewards of every single thing that God has given us in order to fulfill that mission and do what he's called to do. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4 and 2, moreover, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Now, it's game time, church. It's crunch time. And there's not going to be a buzzer at the end, at the end of our time together. But there is going to be a trumpet. The hymn writer Horatio Spafford penned the lyrics, O Lord, haste the day when my faith will be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Listen, God has redeemed us. He has saved us from the penalty of our sin. And this morning, ladies and gentlemen, only you know just how messed up you really are. Only you know the deepest and darkest sins that reside in the corners of your heart. But we serve a Savior who loved us while we were yet sinners. It's that Savior, Jesus Christ, who I'm talking about on today. He has called us to make disciples, to make fully committed followers of him. And maybe you've not made that first step to follow him this morning. 
And maybe you're here this morning wondering about who is that king of glory that can make all these people I'm sitting with around this church be so fully committed to him. Who is this man that can take my mess and wash me white as snow and make me clean as a whistle at his own expense through the precious blood of Jesus Christ? Maybe you need an answer, a fresh start on today to become a disciple and begin to walk with the fine people at this church. Maybe you are uh, already saved and you, and you need a, a great church to join with to become and walk with a, a team of committed disciple makers. I'm telling you, this is a pretty good choice to join. And we're going to have a time of invitation right here in just a few minutes. I think Brother Caleb's going to be singing. Brother Chris will be down here. I'll be down here. Maybe you want to talk about making those first steps of, 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 of walking with Jesus. Maybe you want to join this church. Or maybe you just want to come down here and pray. Maybe you want to come down here and repent because maybe you've not been a great steward of the resources that God has given you, of your love. Maybe you've not been a great steward of your speech. Maybe you've not been a great steward of your talents. That can end today. We have a Savior who he can, he can identify. He understands with what we've been going through. and He can wash you clean this morning. You can repent today, and we can leave this place better stewards, fully committed, ready to be stewards of all that Jesus Christ has committed to us. But I invite you as we stand at this time here, don't just be hearers of God's words. Let's be doers as well. Would you pray with me?